Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, it starts out this way. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent. Everyone say, repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare. Everyone say, prepare. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In Matthew chapter four and verse 17, the next chapter over, Jesus begins his ministry kind of with the same message, the same attitude, the same emphasis. From that time, verse 17 reads, Jesus began to preach and say, repent. Everyone say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what we need to understand is both of these men are issuing a cry and issuing an order, if you will, for repentance. And what we need to understand about repentance in the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus is that repentance was not an, was not an arrival. It was a starting point. Repentance was not what he was trying to get us to arrive at. It's where he was intending for us to start at so that we could fulfill and accomplish the assignment that God has. Many times, religiously, we've accepted repentance as the level of, this is what I've been trying to get to, and I'm doing away with my past, and I'm coming to repentance. And then we just kind of see that as the only step beyond repentance is living on this earth and bearing with it as much as we can, as well as we can, and then one day dying and going to heaven. That's kind of been the, 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 the essence of the, the, the believer's life, the Christian's life that we have whittled Christianity down to, uh, to, to just the simplest form. I know that I'm not saying this to anyone that probably hasn't heard this for the first time. If you've been in our church for any period of time, you know that, that we preach that this is a heaven we're not trying to get to, but this is a heaven we're trying to bring to the earth that we're trying to get the perspectives of heaven and the perspectives of the kingdom and align this earth with those values once again, as much as we can and as well as we can. We know that the kingdom will not be seen and advanced in its totality until Jesus comes. But man, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as the suffering servant. He's not coming back as the little lamb. He's coming back as a ruling and reigning king. He is coming back on a white horse with a sword, and he's coming back to fully take over the earth once again, and he's bringing you and I back with him to rule and reign on the earth again. Amen. So we know that uh, that we're, we're going to uh, see the totality at a later time, but while we're here in this earth, we are supposed to be advancing the kingdom of God. And the first issuing cry, the first issuing order that we see before we can ever accept fulfill and enter into this kingdom is this order of repentance. This order of changing our thinking, right? This word repentance doesn't mean to boohoo and cry and tell God how sorry you are for everything you've done and, and ask for forgiveness, although that's a part of it. Uh, repentance truly means to change your thinking. I'm going to go a step further, and this is actually a, a translation from the Greek. It means this, side with my party. It's actually a political term. It actually means to align with my values, align with my principles, align with my standards, align with my mission, align with my government, align with, with what I've called you to do. And so we've understood this, that repentance is for the purpose of aligning once again with kingdom values. That's what repentance is for. Repentance is not so you can feel better about the things you've done in your past. Repentance is not for the purpose of forgiveness. Repentance is not for the purpose of, of just simply 
turning from one and going to the other. It's I'm buying in fully into God's kingdom mission and God's kingdom assignment for my life and for the earth. And so repentance is the first step. Repentance is the first thing that must take place if we're going to fully understand uh, what this kingdom is all about. And especially as time goes on, um, where the redefining of terms becomes more and more acceptable and more and more tolerant, uh, and, and, and the issues and the trials and the tribulations of life wear us down to want to live a settled life. Want us to settle for the bare minimum. You ever notice that in life? That, 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 the, 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 the more pressures come, the more trials intervene, the more struggles that we entertain in life, it, it, it begins to cause you to draw back and just accept statements like, well, at least I know where I'm going when I die. Uh, at least uh, uh, I know that I'm saved. At least I'm in church. At least, And so we find ourselves little living life at its lowest level, subpar from what God originally intended for us. And not only are we not receiving what God has for our life, but we're also not accomplishing what God has for our life. I believe in these last days and in these these times that we're living in now, um, there is a renewed issuing order for the church to arrive at its uh, full functioning state. If that makes sense, not halfway, not a percentage in, not at least I've got a foot in, not at least I'm doing this or at least I'm doing, but, but I believe God is wanting the church to arrive at our full fledged mission completely in totally fulfilling the assignment of binding on earth and loosing on earth and bringing heaven to earth, bringing the the keys of the kingdom have been issued to the church to bring heaven here. And in these last days, we're going to see demonstrations of heaven. In these last days, we're going to see the fulfillment of the word of God. You know, this is not a if scenario. This is a when scenario. And this is you know, are, it, the question isn't, isn't, is it going to happen? It's, are you going to be a part of it when it does? That's ultimately what God is, is doing in these last days. And so we see that there is this issuing order, this need for repentance so that we can arrive at God's intended plan and God's intended goal. You and I don't get to step in and say, well, maybe we should just be doing this. And maybe we should just be doing that. And maybe, you know, you know, they, they, they've called the church today the silent majority. The silent majority. And I think that there has been a, a temptation that has crept into the church. I think it's a spiritual, um, a, a spiritual power that has crept into the church that has caused the church to draw back and wane back on what it was called to do. Um, there are things today that are happening. You know, y'all know what November 8th is. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty important day. It's a pretty important day. Oh, there goes that pastor getting political again. No, it's a pretty important day. Um, this is what I'm finding is that the darkness that is creeping into the world and the spiritual forces of wickedness are thrusting themselves at a higher rate and with greater force than the church is. They're boldly doing it. They're, they're bold in their stances. They're bold in their confusion, aren't they? They're, they're bold in their messed up state. They are uh, thrusting force, uh, thrusting forth with, with such a tenacity and such a drive that they will not let go. They will not be uh, uh, pushed back. But you know, we are here to push back darkness. 
We are here again to reintroduce the earth with kingdom values. And there is a, 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 a need in the church today to rise up in a boldness like never before. There is a need today to get to a place of such conviction. Conviction from the inside. That uh, we are not the silent ones anymore. That we don't just quietly remain in the backdrop pointing fingers and talking about them, but never really doing anything about it. We got a lot of, um, you know, if I can just say it, a lot of complainers in the church, but I don't know if we have a lot of prayers and then ones that are ready to get up and do something about the wickedness that we complain about. We talk about it with one another, but how are we really getting out and making a difference and making a change and introducing kingdom principles to the world once again? There's a misalignment that is, that, that is taking place in the enemy in his deceptive ways and in his deceptive form um, has got us to buy into things using scripture against us. Uh, scripture like, well, you got to love your neighbor. You know, the devil wants to redefine what godly love looks like. And he wants to make us think that God is so uh, accepting and so tolerant and so loving of people that he is actually uh, excusing bold face sin in, in his face. Just straight up, I mean, abomination is what we're seeing today. And it's being accepted by people in very high levels of authority. The top of authority, if you know what I mean. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. This election that is coming up should not even be close. (laughs) It should not even be close. I mean, they have taken such a bold stance on the other side and they have, I mean, the the stupidity that comes out of their mouths sometimes. Hear me out. I'm going somewhere. I'm not just bashing people. I'm not just getting political. I'm going somewhere. You're seeing not just uh, candidates and platforms and wings What you're seeing is a spiritual force of wickedness being worked out into society to a point now that they are so bold about the most ridiculous things that there's, there's no proof. There's no evidence, but they will, they will be so bold. And then if the church stands up and makes a statement. If the church stands in what it believes, if the church stands on the word of God and what the word of God says, we're called out as radicals. We're called out as, uh, you know, bigots. We're called out as, you know, crazy people that don't want to progress. We're archaic. We're, our methods are antiquated. We're, we're against. And then they'll even turn and use scripture on us like love your neighbor or didn't Jesus come to bring peace? You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says Jesus said it with his own mouth. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. That's in the Bible. Jesus said it with his own mouth. This isn't a party thing, but it is a Bible thing. And I can tell you right now that there, there is one that has made its, its uh, motives, intents, and agendas so clear cut that they have no, if, if it is in the Bible, we oppose it automatically. Period. They've taken that stance. And so I've just had on my heart that as a church, we've, we are going to have to rally together behind this thing. Uh, Let me make this statement. Not all frustration is of the devil. Sometimes you just have to get frustrated about something before you can do something about it. 
If it doesn't frustrate you, if it doesn't irritate you, now what you do with the frustration and the irritation can lead you down the wrong path. But if you're not sensing within your spirit in the days like today, a, 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 just disturbance, then we might need to check our pulse. We, we might need to, not our natural pulse, our spiritual pulse. Because if you're engaged with the heart of the Father, and if you are engaged with heavenly values and heavenly principles, when you see such things taking place, it, there should be a disturbance within. There should be, how in the world are we tolerating this? How in the world are we settling for this? How in the world are we, have we come this far? Are we, and, and at the end of the day, the silence of the church is what is allowing these things to run rampant. And so I just want to, we won't be able to do it all tonight. So I don't know how long we'll be in it, but there's a rally cry that needs to come. But John the Baptist and Jesus both let us know, if you're going to understand the kingdom, you're going to have to, you're going to have to start out with repentance. We're going to have to recognize what we are for and what we are not for. Repentance is a drawing of the line, drawing of a line in the sand. That's what repentance is. If we continue to buy the lie that repentance is this little game of just going back and forth and I repent and then I do it again and then I repent and then I do it again and then I repent and then I do it again. Let me tell you something. If you're having, if you're struggling breaking something and having to repeatedly repent for the same thing, it's not just a natural issue anymore. It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. Period. It, it needs, it needs more than therapy. It needs more than counseling. It needs more than mentorship. It needs more than meeting with someone uh, for a cup of coffee. It, need, it needs more than just this natural measures alone. You're going to have to attack that thing spiritually. Period. Because repentance is for the purpose of alignment. And God, I don't believe, ever intended us for have to, to have to repent for the same thing more than once. Because if we truly repented, there would be no going back. Repentance in its essence, in its, in its form, is turning away from one thing to another. That's literally what repentance is. Now, we can ask for forgiveness. The Bible is very clear. If you have sinned, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Absolutely. He will forgive you. He will forgive you. He will forgive you. But what we've got to understand is that repentance was for the purpose of aligning our heart and our values and our, our motives with the heart of the Father. And if we truly repent, we will treat that thing as an abomination. We will treat that thing as there's no way I can go back. We will treat that thing as there's no way I could ever allow that back in my life again. And I want to be as far from it as possible. Amen. But the repentance he's talking about here is understanding that it's, it's really a posture of the heart. It's a position of the heart. It's, it's, it's literally taking a stance against one thing and standing with another. It's, it's, it, when we understand the kingdom of God and when we understand how God operates, that government is his plan. Government was the plan of God. God's answer for the earth today is government. A kingdom government. All we've seen in this earth, obviously, is man's attempt at government, man's attempt at ruling over itself, man's attempt at putting things in place that, that allow us to live morally and love one another and abide by certain principles and rules. But at the end of the day, God's kingdom is the perfect government. And repentance is necessary for us to fully obtain. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent because I'm bringing to you something that if you don't change everything about what you were doing before, 
John the Baptist says in verse three, or it says of John the Baptist, the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Repentance is preparation for the way of the Lord. How do you prepare the way of the Lord? Repentance. Repentance is literally the avenue or the the vehicle that ushers in the Lord and his mission. A repentant heart, a heart that is repentant, a heart that says, uh, I am turning from this and I am, I, I want everything that you have invites the Lord. And now your heart becomes the target of the Lord that says, I'm attracted to that. I'm drawn to that. It prepares the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. We're not going to have a church that is ushering in heaven into earth. We're not going to have a church that is uh, issuing the commands and orders of heaven in the earth until we have a repentant church. Until we have a church that fully cuts off the ways of the world and adopts the ways of the kingdom. That fully eliminates. Because we've bought this idea that we can have both. We, We bought the idea that the only way we could reach the world is by partaking of the world. We had this silly idea that I've got to do the things that worldly people do if I ever intend to reach them and and speak to them and be around them. And uh, apparently, apparently I have to sin just like them (laughs) so I can change them from their sinful ways. These are the deceptive tactics that the enemy has crept into the church that has changed the agenda and the mission of the church. And it's why the church is now silent and quiet and not doing kingdom business. And we've said it before, but the world is okay with the church as long as we're just doing religious activity. They're okay with this right here. They're okay with us singing our songs and, and issuing our albums and, 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 and we, we've even got ways in the church that we're going to the world to find out how they're doing it. And then we're trying to replicate that in the church. I was, uh, reading an article from, I don't even remember who it was, but some worship leader or they're part of a worship group, uh, that, you know, records and sells, you know, worship music material. And they said either last year or within the last couple of years that their, I don't know, agent or, you know, whoever they use to help get their stuff recorded and sold and all that kind of stuff came to them and said, hey, um, spontaneous worship is really in right now. The trend in worship music is to perform things that are spontaneous. That are, you're just, you're in a room and you're surrounded by a bunch of people and it seems like they, they, they build it this way. It, it has a spontaneous feel like we're just flowing and we're not just singing, you know, uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, you know, the whole, model of a song that it's just kind of free flowing and, and we, we, you know, kind of just go off and prophetic. They have found a way to market spiritual elements. And this individual said, I will not create a spontaneous worship album just because that's what sells or because that's what gets us on the music charts or that's what gets a lot of downloads or that's what gets a lot of people. I mean, they have, we, we, we have taken, we are adopting worldly systems and worldly standards and bringing them into the church. Don't you think God is more creative than that? Don't you think God knows how to get his music out? Don't you think God knows? I mean, he's been, we've had worship leaders from the beginning, man. We don't need the world telling us 
what's hot, what's in, what's trendy. You got to do this at this time and got to say this. And man, I, we, we, we're getting so distracted from our function and from our purpose and why we even exist. And now we're playing catch up with the world rather than saving them, redeeming them, healing them, and introducing them to a kingdom that would absolutely change their lives. It's this repentance. It's this realigning of our thinking and repositioning of our hearts that says, I abandoned the values of the earth and I'm adopting the values of the kingdom. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul addresses something, and this is kind of where we'll camp. Paul is addressing in first and second Thessalonians that were they were written real close in time to one another. Paul is writing obviously the church at Thessalonica. And these two chapters, he deals a lot with the end of times or the end of days or the, the soon and coming king. He talks about the Antichrist in here. He talks about the, the signs that you'll see toward the end. We see a lot of, uh, you know, just uh, references to the end of age, the end of time, uh, the return of Christ, uh, different things like that. And this church specifically had already began to endure uh, quite a few trials in tribulations and persecutions. And Paul is admonishing them and encouraging them to endure, to keep endurance. But he begins to address some stuff here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In verse 1, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it was also with you. Meaning, I, I expect an advancement of the word and an advancement of the gospel in the end, just as much as it was in the beginning. Just as much as it was in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people came into the kingdom on one day. He says, man, we, we should still have a spreading of the gospel. We should still have this, this quick uh, spread of the gospel taking place. And that we will be rescued, this is it, from troublesome and evil people. That we will be rescued from troublesome and evil people. Right off the bat, he lets us know the reason why the church is slowing in its spread of the gospel and its spread of its message and in the spread of its mission is because it's coming up against persecution. It's coming up some deliberate opposition. Are we seeing that today? I just told you earlier that everything, it's almost as if they go through the word and they say, okay, we oppose that. And we don't like that. And we're going to come up with something against that. And it, 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 if God says it, they want to do the exact opposite. And they want to call it right and call us wrong. Right? And this is how we end up with up is down and down is up and left is right and right is left. And we just end up with this big confused mass of what are we supposed to believe? But this is why. Troublesome and evil people. He says, for not all have the faith, meaning not all believe the message. But the Lord is faithful, I love this, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Do you remember what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 when he was in the garden? He said, Lord, I do not pray that you take them out of the earth. What an interesting prayer. Most Christians don't pray that way. We're praying for Jesus to take us out of the, we're praying for the exact opposite that he prayed for. I don't know about you, but if he's praying and I'm praying, God's probably answering his prayer over mine. <laughs> I think when Jesus prays, he gets his prayers answered. Amen. No, he prayed. I don't pray that you take them out of here, but he did say this. I pray that you keep them from the evil one, which implies what? That as long as we're here, we're going to have to endure the evil one. We're going to have to stand against this opposition. This is why this repentance is so necessary, because if we don't repent, we align with the enemy. 
an unrepentant heart, an unrepentant mind aligns itself with the very world it's called to change. It aligns itself with the very principles that we're supposed to be altering, the very principles that we're supposed to be standing against, the very principles that we're supposed to be calling out and say, nope, that's not correct. We don't abort babies before they're born. They are alive and they have a destiny and they are a real body and a real person in the womb. We call those things out. We don't just sit back silently and say, well, if that's what you want to believe. See, you know, not speaking out, you might as well just align with it. You might as well put your stamp of approval on it. We might as well just be one of those that agrees. Amen. And we're going to walk this thing out. I'm not telling y'all to go out of here and start blasting social media and, and picketing it, you know, different function. I'm not, we're not, we're going to walk this thing out. We're going to find out what true kingdom alliance looks like and how we're supposed to boldly stand for the things of God. But we are going to bring a kingdom boldness back into the church. But it starts with this disturbance on the inside. It starts with no longer tolerating and no longer accepting and, 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 and no longer shying away from things. He says, no, there, there will be troublesome and evil people for not all have the faith. And I'll tell you what, that goes for people in the church too. That's the deceptive thing about it. Is they're in the church too. Maybe not in this church physically, but there will be those that will call themselves believers and call themselves Christians, but you'll be able to look and say, but you sure don't align with kingdom principles. There's an alignment issue. We all here Sunday night for Kingdom Rise when I ministered on the alignment, the order of things, and God's calling us back into alignment. And we, you, you, you begin to say, and there's, there's nothing worse than a misalignment in the heart, but yet the mouth says another thing. This is called hypocrisy. And the things are they're going to become more clear and they're going to become more prevalent. And they're going to be, become more identifiable. It's like, but, but, they, but they have a church that has 10,000 people in it. But they're misaligned with kingdom principles. They've got a million followers on Instagram, but they're misaligned with kingdom principles. This stuff was happening back then. Troublesome and evil people. And he says, for not all have the faith, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the perseverance of Christ. Why do you think we need perseverance? One translation reads to the endurance of Christ. Why do you think we need endurance? Because there's a push against us. There's opposition that we're going to have to stand against. The violent, uh, the, the, the kingdom suffers violent and the violent take it by force, meaning that we're going to have to answer back with the same gall and the same tenacity and the same doggedness that they're standing for brokenness and destruction. And we can't have a weak response to a strong stance of evil. We're going to have to respond in like manner. We're going to have to respond, not with a tolerance and not with an acceptance, but you know what he says? He says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the perseverance of Christ. And and a, a behavior or an action that the church hasn't done real well with is Ephesians chapter four, speaking the truth in love. It's usually one or the other. Well, if it's in the Bible and we're commanded to do it, it must be possible (laughs) to speak the truth and stand in love. Apparently it must be capable. We must have the ability to speak the truth in love. Now, I would ask you, you know, if you have a, a, a two-year-old child, I've got a two-year-old. If my two-year-old, who's crazy, rambunctious, wild, would go anywhere and he does, he's not looking around, but if he's heading out for St. Augustine Road 
and he's just going with all he can, not looking. And there's trucks and traffic going by like crazy. You would put me in jail if I said, hey, uh, shouldn't do that. You, you, you don't, don't, don't go there. S- stop. Y'all know what we're doing. We're screwing at the top of our, Austin! Stop! Turn around! We're chasing after we're doing everything we can to pull you away from destruction because we know your life is at stake. But then when we see people failing, see people in sin, see people accepting certain things, we've got to be silent and quiet about it. Now, I would ask, which one is love? Don't do that. No, because I love you, I'm redirecting you away from destruction. I'm redirecting you away from what will take your life. I'm redirecting you. Amen. That's called truth in love. And apparently, we should be able to do it. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the perseverance of Christ. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother or sister who leads a disorderly life and not one in accordance with the tradition which you receive from us. Oh boy. Now he just talked about the love of God and the perseverance of Christ in the previous verse. Now he's talking about separation. Now he's talking about our association. Now he's starting to talk about who we're connected to. This word disorderly, this word disorderly is a military term, meaning you have come out of ranks. It, it, it has the imagery of uh, soldiers that are marching in line and marching together and working in unison. And one has come outside of that and is not marching with the rest of the infantry, not marching with the rest of his company. And he's come out identifiably. And he says, now we've got to guard our association. Now we've got to guard how we treat People and how we associate with those that have come out of ranks. Our support of them. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm not making this up. I'm reading the Bible. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined way among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you, not because we did not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a, offer ourselves as a role model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, this is what he's referencing. He's referencing a spiritual principle where there were some within this church that took on this idea. Well, the day's drawing near anyways. Jesus is coming soon anyways. And rather that, Rather than that being a call to action, they actually allowed it to be an excuse to step back and, and not put their hand to something. Not remain about the Father's business. Not be tenacious about continuing. See, we can take two approaches with the end times. And we have. You can take the approach that the end is near. Man, we need to be working hard and we need to be doing everything we can. But the other approach is, well, we're close. So let's just ride this thing out. And so we have believers waning back, shying away, 
not stay, not staying as intentional and tenacious about the mission of the kingdom of God. Well, let me tell you something. You know who else knows the end is near? The devil. And the last time I checked, he's working overtime. He's putting in extra hours. He, he knows the time, his time is running short. I'm going to affect and infect as much as I can, as fast as I can, as deliberate as I can, as intentional as I can, and I'm going to separate everything I can separate. I'm going to break everything that I can break. I'm going to pervert everything I can pervert. I'm going to confuse everything I can confuse. And so while he's taking the approach of I'm digging my heels in and I'm going to I'm going to milk this thing for all it, all it's worth until the Lord comes. The church has sat back and said, well, he's coming. Let's just enjoy what we can until Jesus shows up. And then we whittle down life to its simplest form. Why? To avoid the persecutions, the oppositions, the trials, and the challenges. I think it's time for the church to respond in like manner. How about you? I think it's time for the church to take on this idea of let's work overtime. Let's find our hand doing something in these last days that is making the paths straight, preparing the way of the Lord. That's the approach that he's trying to help this church understand. Look at, let's look at this in a few different translations. In the Passion Translation, just start back up at verse 1, in the Passion. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, pray for us that the Lord's message will continue to spread rapidly and its glory be recognized everywhere just as it was with you. And pray that God will rescue us from wicked and evil people, for not everyone believes the message. That right there has worn down more believers than anything else. Well, they didn't believe me. It wasn't your responsibility to get them to believe you. It's your responsibility to spread the message. It's your responsibility to minister the word. Paul said, preach the word in season and out of season, meaning when they receive it and when they don't. The, the, the command is the same, preach the word. Jesus, when he sent his disciples, he said, look, if there's a town that sends you out, kicks you off, kicks you out and, and sends you off on your tail, you wipe the dust off your feet and you go on to the next town. He never put the burden and the responsibility and the weight of converting people to us. He told us to make disciples. But that, that's not our job to change people's hearts. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Never has a person been debated into the kingdom. What do I mean? If the other person is argumentative, unresponsive, only wants to show their position, they're not getting in. Only by the conviction of the Holy Spirit will they get in. You're not going to be able to prove your point well enough. You're not going to be able to have enough words. Paul said this. He said, man, you know, I got in trouble one time trying to debate the word. I, I, I want to say it was uh, the account in uh, Iconium, Lystra, one in there. One of the, uh, He actually got in a debate with the, the higher wise council. He ended up coming back to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians and said, no, I'm not coming to you with enticing words. I'm not coming to you with perfect speech. He said, I'm not doing that game anymore. It was, it was Paul's worst response that he ever had to the kingdom, trying to debate it and trying to prove it and trying to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with people that had no interest in siding with the kingdom of God. So he says right there, not everyone believes the message. That ought to set us free right there. That we're still to stand for kingdom principles, regardless of the response. You know what I'm finding today is a lot of Christians, they, they are, we're, we're seeing this with our young people for sure. What was the word we talked about the other day? Deconstructing their faith. They're getting in these situations with others that don't believe the message and they're turning them. They're getting turned away from the faith. 
One person says, well, you know, pastors are just doing this. And all of a sudden they think evil of every pastor. They're just out for a paycheck. They just want to, you know, get a crowd. They're just trying to do this and trying to do that. And now they see them all do that. One conversation was able to turn everything on its head. It shouldn't be that easy. We should have such a conviction of the heart and a belief system within our heart that says, man, I'm, regardless of what you see or what you say, I'm never going to let an outsider change my view or my opinion of the word of God. That's not happening. But the Lord Yahweh, verse three, is always faithful to place you on a firm foundation and guard you from the evil one. We have complete confidence in the Lord concerning you and we are sure that you are doing and will continue to do what we have told you. Now may the Lord move your hearts into a greater understanding of God's pure love for you and into Christ's steadfast endurance. Brothers and sisters, we instruct you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to stay away from believers who are unruly and who stray from all that we have taught you. For you know very well that you should order your lives after our example because we were not undisciplined when we were with you. We didn't sponge off of you. We worked hard night and day to provide our own food and lodging, not be a burden to any of you. It wasn't because we don't have the right to be supported, but we wanted to provide you an example to follow. When we were with you, we instructed you with these words. Anyone who does not want to work for a living should go hungry. Now we hear rumors that some of you are being lazy and neglecting to work, that these people are not busy, but busy bodies. Verse 13, he admonishes them and he says this, brothers and sisters, don't grow weary in doing what is right. Don't grow weary in doing what is right. In essence, that is the charge that he's leaving with us with today. He's letting us know that in this stance, in this fight, in this position, I won't get to it today, but over in 2 Timothy, Paul lets Timothy know, stir up the, uh, fan the flame, stir up the gift of God that is within you. He lets him know God has not given you what? a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And the very next verse, he says, and do not be ashamed. There's a spirit of timidity that is trying to come upon the the body of Christ today to get us to wane back, to get us to apologize for believing what we believe, for taking the positions that we take. Come on to excuse ourselves, to shy away, and we become silent, and then we just begin to ride this wave until the Lord comes back. And he's saying, that ought not to be the position of my church. That ought not be the position that my church has taken, that we've become silent and intimidated. Intimidated. It's time for the church to intimidate darkness once again. I'm telling you right now, the, 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 the spiritual weakness in high places, the forces in darkness are nothing to be afraid of. They are no match for your God. They are no match for the church. We were given a clear directive that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. I mean, it's not even close, guys. It's not even close. We have overwhelming victory. We have overwhelming confidence. We have an overwhelming assurance that we win, that we come out on top and that we will see righteousness once again. We'll see holiness once again. We'll see purity once again. We'll see lives turned to the king once again. We've got to get this vision, this imagination, this faith once again. The church has been put back on its heels. It's been put back on the defensive and the church was never meant to operate from a defensive position. It's to operate from an offensive position. We're pushing back darkness. And every time they introduce darkness, we're the ones rising up and saying, oh no, you won't. Not in our schools, not in our community, not in our homes, not in our families, not in our state. No, not in the state of Georgia. Well, we have wickedness in Atlanta. Come on, we got to stand up. Our capital will have someone righteous in it. Someone that will stand up for righteous principles and policies. This is the stance you've got to begin to take with an assurance and a confidence that your kingdom backs you. Your king is with you. 
You're an ambassador for Christ. We're not speaking on our own initiative. But where do we get a church that's not timid but assured? Where do we get a church that stands against opposition, persecution? Man, you know what? On Acts chapter 2, as great of a day that was on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The mighty rushing wind and the tongues of fire on each other, 120, baptizing the Holy Spirit in an instant. You know what it says? I think verse 5, verse 6. And the people down below mocked them and ridiculed them. Mocking and ridiculing has been a part of the church from day one. It's been a part of, from, from the very first moment of the installment and the instilling of the Holy Spirit, people were right there ready and saying, that's craziness. We don't believe in that mess. 3,000 people came in, but there were still those that mocked, still those that ridiculed, still those that laughed. These people are just drunk. There's always going to be, it doesn't matter uh, uh, what, what you're doing for Christ, there's always going to be someone that's going to stand on the side and say, that's crazy. I mean, you might as well just get used to it. We might as well just get comfortable with crisis. We might as well just get comfortable with opposition. We might as well just get, Jesus said it himself. If they've persecuted you, it's because they've persecuted me first. If they're standing against you, they're not really standing against you. They're standing against me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.